Welcome to another episode of PEM Currents, the Pediatric Emergency Medicine Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Soboleski, and today we're going to talk about a diagnosis that I feel like I either make too much or don't make enough, sinusitis. All right, so first, a little background here. Sinusitis is inflammation of the mucosal lining of a sinus. And it's basically rhinosinusitis, since the nose is always inflamed too. But for the purposes of simplicity, sinusitis equals rhinosinusitis, and I'll say sinusitis more often. Kids do not arrive in this world with fully formed sinuses. The maxillary sinuses develop by age four. The ethmoid sinuses are present at birth. The sphenoid sinus are full-sized by age 12, and the frontal by about six to eight years. Sinusitis always happens after a upper respiratory infection. And up to 9% of URIs develop sinusitis as a complication. Acute sinusitis is symptoms less than 30 days, and that's mostly what you'll see in the emergency department and the focus of my talk today. Subacute is 30 to 90 days. Recurrent acute is three episodes, less than 30 days in duration, with 10-day breaks in between over a year. Chronic sinusitis is greater than 90 days. It's very annoying, and it's more likely due to non-infectious causes or in patients that have significant predisposing factors like CF, really bad GERD, allergies, and exposure to environmental pollutants. Again, as I mentioned a moment ago, sinusitis happens about 9% of the time after a URI. Now, you really don't see it in children until they're older than about four to seven years of age. It can happen in kids under two years old with an ethmoid, but it's less likely because, well, those sinuses aren't formed, and the same viruses that might cause sinusitis in an older kid often lead to acute otitis media. Kids are readily treated because the ear pain's identified, and any chance for it to become sinusitis is aborted because of the early prescription of antibiotics. And even in those sinuses that do exist, the ostia, you know, those holes that lead into the sinus, relative to the size of the sinus itself, are much larger. Therefore, they're less likely to get obstructed and full of infection. The sinuses are normally sterile, but they can get colonized from the nasopharynx. So mucociliary clearance takes care of most of it. That's why CF kids have such a problem. And the most common bacteria include non-typable haemophilus influenza strains, Streptococcus pneumoniae, and Moraxella cateralis. The data after Prevnar are limited, but right now non-typable H. flu is probably the most common. Staph can be seen, but it's more often in chronic sinusitis. Now, there's a paper back from 1981 that really informs the symptoms that we still see in sinusitis today. Even though it came out when I was four years old, Dr. Wald said that the main symptoms in sinusitis, and this was in a smaller study confirmed by nasal aspirate, that you'll see congestion, cough, fever, headache, facial pain and swelling, sore throat, and bad breath. Take a look at the individual symptoms in detail. So the cough with sinusitis is worse at night, and it worsens as the illness progresses. The color and consistency of the nasal discharge does not matter. Uh, On exam, you'll see erythematous nasal mucosa, and the drainage can be clear, yellow, white, green, or somewhere in between. Fever in sinusitis is generally greater than 39 degrees centigrade and present for more than three days. Sinus tenderness is elicited by percussion, and it's hard to determine in young kids. Generally, the symptoms of sinusitis are present for greater than 10 to 11 days. 
So differentiating between URI and sinusitis is really a symptomatic and clinical diagnosis. In general, the kids with bacterial sinusitis are more ill-appearing. The fever, especially in severe presentation, is greater than 39 centigrade or 102.2 Fahrenheit for more than three days, and fever really only lasts for a couple days in URI. The nasal discharge in a cold peaks on days three to six and then steadily improve. The nasal discharge in sinusitis does not improve or it worsens over time. The cough in a cold peaks on days three to six and steadily improves. In sinusitis, you guessed it, it fails to improve and worsens over time. Most kids with a cold can have a mild headache or no headache at all, but in bacterial rhinosinusitis, the headache can be a sign of severe illness or complication. In general, the clinical course of a cold or an upper respiratory viral infection peaks in severity on days 3, 4, 5, and 6, and then definitely gets better. In bacterial rhinosinusitis, symptoms are present for greater than 10 days without improvement. According to both the AAP and the IDSA, you can make the diagnosis of bacterial sinusitis in one of three ways. So there's persistent, and this is the most common. This is what you'll probably see in the ED. You've got continuing nasal symptoms for greater than 10 days without improvement. Again, the quality of the nasal discharge doesn't matter. A variant is severe at onset. This is a high fever, you know, greater than 39, for three days, ill appearance, and purulent nasal discharge times three to four days. Recall that URI and fever is only present for less than 48 hours. And then the third way to make the diagnosis of sinusitis is worsening symptoms over time. This is the biphasic illness. You start out with a cold, it gets better, and remember colds peak about days three through six, then it gets worse again. So you get return of fever or worsening of drainage and pain around days six to seven and afterwards. Imaging and microbiologic studies are not needed to make the diagnosis. This is a clinical diagnosis. Complications of sinusitis are fortunately rare, but they can include orbital cellulitis or abscesses, osteomyelitis, intracranial abscess, this is like a Pott's puffy tumor, an epidural or subdural abscess, or even a brain abscess, and meningitis. Worrisome features per Hicks include periorbital or orbital swelling and headache, vomiting that lasts greater than 24 hours, altered mental status, focal neurologic symptoms, meningeal signs, or even that ominous paradoxically low heart rate. Again, the diagnosis is clinical, and we've all seen incidental sinusitis on a CT. The criteria include opacification of the sinus, mucosal thickening greater than 4 millimeters, and an air fluid level. Really, only get a CT if you're worried about a complication. If you discover that the CT read says sinusitis, and the patient clinically has no symptoms whatsoever of sinusitis, well, then it's probably not sinusitis. Before I get into treatment, I wanted to touch on bacterial antibiotic resistance briefly. Now, remember, non-typable H flu in the post-Prevnar era is likely the most common, but you'll see strep pneumo and moraxella. There are various levels of beta-lactamase resistance out in the community. Unimmunized children have a higher level of beta-lactamase resistance bacteria than immunized children. So H flu is about 30 to 50% penicillin or beta-lactamase resistant. Moraxella catarralis can be 100%. So this leads into what antibiotic choice to make. And most often in the child who is not allergic to penicillin, 
it's augmentin, so amoxicillin and clavulonic acid. So bacterial sinusitis can get better without treatment, but if you make the correct diagnosis, antibiotics make recovery faster. One meta-analysis from three randomized control trials showed that amoxicillin clavulonic acid was better than placebo. This was in about 310 patients. You had a almost 79% versus 60% rate of improved symptoms. The odds ratio for that was 2.52. So you could elect to observe patients for three days before starting antibiotics, but I'd wager there's considerable pressure to start treatment following an ED visit. Just know that that's an option for kids with milder symptoms. As I mentioned a moment ago, the first-line treatment is amoxicillin clavulonic acid, a.k.a. augmentin. If you're concerned about resistance, do the high dose. That's 90 milligrams per kilogram per day divided BID. Otherwise, lower dose is 45 milligram per kilogram per day divided BID. Other agents that can be used but are less broad spectrum include cefpidoxime, ceftonir, and levofloxacin. There's a penicillin allergy, cefpidoxime, and ceftonir are the first choices. If a kid is vomiting on day one of illness, you can give ceftriaxone IM or IV times one. If that vomiting persists greater than 24 hours, and this is not just gagging when the kid's trying to be administered medicine, you got to worry about complication and reevaluate that child. Symptoms, when treated, should improve in two to three days, but you want to treat for at least 10 days. Treatment failure is if the child is no better after three days of antibiotic therapy. If you see a slower response but the kid continues to get better, continue treatment for seven days past symptom resolution. So in the ED, I think it's safe to start with 10 days of a prescription for a kid with bacterial sinusitis and no complications with mild symptoms, but you might want to consider a longer course in kids that have had symptoms greater than three days, especially if they've been on antibiotics, and definitely make sure they follow up with their primary care doctor to assure that resolution is occurring. In terms of symptomatic relief, Tylenol, ibuprofen, they help. But saline sprays, eh, they might be useful. Decongestants and antihistamines are not routinely recommended, nor are intranasal steroids. Kids with intense pain or complex sinusitis can get ENT involved, and they can do aspirations and rinses, but that's not something that's viable in the emergency department. All right, so that's it for sinusitis. Remember, this is a clinical diagnosis. You're going to have to balance your clinical suspicion with the desire to avoid unnecessary antibiotics. Have a discussion about the family and tell them why you are making the diagnosis of sinusitis or why you think it's less likely and the child has just an upper respiratory infection. Provide extra time and education on what to do if symptoms worsen and always urge pediatrician or primary care doctor follow-up. And again, the first-line treatment for most children who are not allergic to penicillins is augmentin or amoxicillin clavulonic acid. You can check out the entire back catalog of PEM Currents on PEM Blog or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your audio content. Follow me on Twitter at PEMTweets. Check out more great educational content at PEMblog.com. Leave me feedback. I'd really appreciate it. And a special shout-out to Ayod Corky, who suggested the topic for this episode. For PEM Currents, the Pediatric Emergency Medicine Podcast, this has been Brad Soboleski. See you next time.